Hello, everybody, and welcome to the China Tech Investor Podcast, powered by TechNode, seeking truth from facts when it comes to Chinese tech stocks and IPOs. I'm Elliot Zagman, and with me is a man to whom I'd like to say... It's James Hall. Happy anniversary. Uh, <laughs> Happy anniversary. Yeah, that's right. It's been one year of China tech investor. It's kind of amazing just thinking about that. But it's been also one year of uh, nothing said on this podcast is investment advice uh, or solicitation of services. Investing. A one year of not giving it investment that's right. advice. <laughs> And that includes today's podcast, as as always. Um, yeah, you can uh, follow us on Twitter. I'm James Hall X. Elliot is Elliot Zagman. Two L's, two T's, two A's. Two A's. Yeah, actually three A's because there's also an A in in the man at Zagman. But it's a lot of it's back to back letters. A lot of back to backs. Also check um, out uh, yeah. Technodes uh, newsletters at technode.com forward slash newsletters and give us a, a five star rating. On uh, on Apple Podcast. Uh, anyway, so today, let's see. We have met. We have Matthew Graham uh, from Sonic Global Capital coming on to talk about China's blockchain mania. It's it's uh it's really kind of hitting a, f- a fever pitch at this point for a number of reasons. But we're gonna we're gonna go into that later. But first, uh, Alibaba reported their earnings. Uh, what should we say? We, we want to talk. I think we, we we've discussed this. We want to go into you know maybe in a couple of weeks once Pinduoduo and JD have reported their earnings as well. We want to do kind of a full you know e-commerce uh, ecosystem wrap up, kind of going through all of these 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 companies at once. But um, just real quickly, what were some of the takeaways from Alibaba's earnings report? Well, I guess the big the big headline thing is that uh, revenues were up forty percent year over year. They were up four yeah. percent sequentially, which is kind of normal, I, I guess. Uh, Q three last year, well, they call it Q two, their Q two, but fiscal year Q three was up five percent sequentially, fifty four percent year over year. So, I mean, there's a there's a deceleration going on in. Um, Alibaba's, uh, you know, revenues, and that's probably part and partial due to Pinduoduo and competition. They added more annual active customers. They had uh, 19 million net ads. What else? MAUs was the net ads and MAUs was 30 million. So they're up to like 785, 785. Still seeing, like we've talked about before, a deceleration or a de- sorry decline in their uh, EBITDA margin. It's down now on the trailing 12-month basis to 40% for their core commerce EBITDA. And then overall, we're seeing it it's down to 27.9%. That's trailing 12-month you know, and that's compared to a year ago was thirty two point two, and it's just kind of been a steady decline, kind of since. Well, since yeah. when? Since well, I'm going. Got numbers going back to Q four twenty sixteen, and basically since then, it's just kind of been a steady decline. Yeah, I, I think that one of the reasons why we want to talk about all three of these companies together is because I think it's really hard to understand. Alibaba or JD right now without kind of looking at Pinduoduo, which which is kind of the elephant in the room. Um, I don't want to compare it too much. We, we've talked about kind of understanding Baidu and Tencent 
under in the framework of of ByteDance, right? Being kind of this uh, this kind of growing, more dynamic um, kind of disruptor, and Pinduoduo is a little bit of that, maybe not quite to the exact same extent when it comes to uh, e-commerce and, and JD and, and Alibaba. Yeah. So I think the dynamic the dynamic of those three companies and you know these two kind of more kind of institutional or uh, kind of long term. Um, older and more mature companies and this younger upstart that is, you know, spending money and kind of, uh, disrupting the space to it, to, and, but we don't know to what degree they're going to end up, um, you know, uh, succeeding in the long run. So, um, yeah, anyways, we'll talk about that more in the coming weeks. Let's, what else we want to say? We want to, uh, we have Matthew Graham on, uh, Matthew Graham is the, uh, founder and CEO of Sino Global Capital. It is a, uh, he'll talk a little bit more about this, but they, they focus a lot on the blockchain space in China and blockchain's kind of gone. It's, it's always been something that is kind of, uh, the, an interesting space, I guess, you know, we're all, all over the place, but, you know, especially in China. And, but in, in recent weeks, we've seen the, the People's Bank of China seems as though they will soon release their own form of digital currency. And, and also Xi Jinping has kind of called on entrepreneurs in the country to advance the, the blockchain development. So, you know, whenever did, you have. Did he also a, say, know. did he also say to for, that people should study, not just people, I think he said officials should yeah, they, study they, blockchain. Yeah, it was a study session, but I mean, it's, it's a, uh, obviously there's, a, there's a lot of, um, a lot of ramifications to this. Uh, and, and we, it's hard to, to get, uh, our minds around it entirely. That's why we invited Matthew. But it also is kind of, is, a, is quite a complicated topic, um, even as you'll see in our conversation with Matthew. So, and and a lot of things are not quite clear yet. But we, there are some some dy- some like core dynamics that we're going to that we're probably going to see play out over the next couple of years, and and that's what we um what what we get into. So um yeah, anything else you want to say before we go into our conversation? Yeah, with maybe just. Just quickly touch on the trade potential trade deal. I think this one seems to be it has a little more meat on it, just because, uh, or on the possibility, just because it seems like both sides, the press is kind of been laying the groundwork for uh, like a, an actual deal, whereas mm-hmm. like it, it sounds more like a lot less false promises and a lot more. Yeah. Hey, this this is kind of what we're gonna be like. Promises are coming down instead of like going up. So that seems to be, in my opinion, increase the likelihood of a deal actually happening, uh, whatever mm-hmm. it is. I mean, one of the promises coming down kind of feel I got was from reading an article that basically said, "Okay, is this phase one or is this the deal?" <laughs> Because it might just be the deal, and uh, then we're kind of stuck here, and so that's that's bringing down the in a in a major way the uh, expectations, right? So yeah. I don't know. It seems like it seems like this is a, a deal. Obviously, is positive for I think the U.S. listed Chinese stocks. Mm-hmm. I think it's positive for you know depending on how much rollback there is of the. Of the tariffs, it's potentially positive for a lot of companies and businesses. You know, we'll see. I think she also, in his speech in Shanghai, made some comments about kind of opening up a lot of parts of China. I think he mentioned trying trying to get more feedback from 
citizens on policies and what's going on, you know, not direct, but like kind of through ch- the proper channels and such. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It seems, yeah. seems like, you know, the boxes are slowly being kind of checked. Uh, <laughs> You know, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not. That. I'm not too optimistic about about all that kind of stuff. But I mean, it's interesting that you said. I don't know if you if you meant to be making a pun when you talked about meat being on the deal. But you know, pork right. does, it, it is that like kind of <laughs> yeah. needs pork, right? So so um, and and the U.S. has pork, right? So that that's that's a big kind of uh, a, a core a, a, a core issue there um, and I think that even if it's just something like they agree to buy more and then you let the the US, the US lays off some tariffs you know they call it a phase one but like it mitigates some of the damage and and then who knows where we go from there but it's a, a step that is not that at least it's not getting getting worse yeah anyways to Matthew let's go all right Matthew Graham from Sina Global Capital. So China is going berserk for blockchain these days. And joining us to tell us all about that is Matthew Graham. Matthew Graham is a founding partner and CEO of Sino Global Capital. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm super jazzed to be here with you today. It's really just a tremendously fascinating topic to start with between China and blockchain. And then as many of uh, as many of the listeners probably know, there are, there's really been an action-packed uh, week or two in the China blockchain space. Cool. So, so can you just just before we get started here, or as we're getting started, can you tell us a little bit more about what your firm does and and what draw drew you to the blockchain space in China? Absolutely. So, I have been in China for about seven years now, and so Sino Global Capital is my sell-side investment banking boutique, which I founded four years ago, and we represent international technology companies in mainland China for strategic partnership and investment. Actually, one of our clients uh, became our first unicorn client just a few weeks ago, a European company uh, in the carbon nanotube space. So we're pretty excited about that. We've represented them uh, for several years now in their relationships with Chinese state-owned enterprises, and they have a lot of unique needs related to their biggest market here in mainland China. The concept was always that we would very naturally and organically develop sector competencies. And uh, we, we, the, the first and the decision is that it will be the only sector competency is, is blockchain. We very much fell in love with the space and, and have been exclusively focused on blockchain for almost three years now. We still service our legacy clients, but we are very much all in on blockchain. And uh, related to that, then, our affiliated brand is called Liquid Value. And Liquid Value is a, a crypto hedge fund for our mainland China clients, for our greater China clients, I should say, that have an interest in getting started in the crypto space. Those clients tend to be ultra high net worth and ultra high net worth entrepreneurs and such. And it's very much a get off zero kind of play. These tend to be people who have 100 million USD or more of of assets to invest. And they want to take a piece of that and have some exposure to the crypto market. Okay. Now, as, as long as I, I mean, I think at least for the last, you know, two or three years, blockchain's been this buzzword around China, similar to the way kind of 
AI has been. I think maybe AI probably got off a little bit earlier, but you know, when when these when these kind of revolutionary technologies start going through these kind of uh, these Chinese circles, you know, everyone kind of goes crazy for them. And I I, I don't know if, if 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 you'd feel the same way, but the way that I saw it is that like there was so much of this kind of hullabaloo around blockchain, so much of this kind of this energy kind of waiting to get released, and. Um, what we've seen in in recent weeks is that really there it seems to be that there is a direction and and a lot of these these folks that have been wanting to 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 put their foot on the gas now are so what what has has changed with china uh regarding blockchain and 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 what what does that mean? Can you, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Great questions in there. And, and I want to kind of take them piece by piece. The, the, the first thing, actually, earlier you asked, well, why blockchain? And I mentioned, well, organically and naturally. But, but I, I, I want to first tell you why I fell in love with the space, which is that to me, it is just this tidal wave of innovation and dynamic energy, uh, not just in China, but everywhere. And that's just so appealing to me. That's the same reason, actually, that I first came to China. I wanted to be at the center of the action. In 82, I probably would have gone to, to Tokyo. And, you know, in 93, I would have gone to Silicon Valley. I wanted to be in the engine. So to me, it's, it's just the world's most interesting space. I, I think to me, it's the, the most exciting technology since Again, if you go back to, you know, 93 and, and, uh, and, and in the internet space, certainly you alluded to the fact that it's a frenzy and there's a lot of, uh, so that's what attracted me to the space. Uh, there's, there's a lot of positive and negatives that go along with that from the perspective of China and from the perspective of the participants in the ecosystem. And, uh, and, and there's been a lot of already, uh, more than one boom and bust cycle in the time that I've been in this space. But that leads us more towards the events of the last couple of weeks, which is that there's been a real move towards legitimization of the space with Xi Jinping's comments. The word of Xi Jinping is, is a lot different than the word of the president of the United States. It's, it's a tremendously powerful thing to get an implicit endorsement of an industry. Plus then the news that China's central bank digital currency, which is called DCEP, DCEP, is very much on the way. So there's just been uh, a ton of energy in, in, in the space throughout the, the time that I've been in the space. And, and, and then especially in the last week or two, things have really gotten quite exciting. Yeah, so what, I mean, China, I don't know that much about uh, Bitcoin and blockchain but maybe could you could you give us a little bit of background on kind of the difference, kind of why I guess Bitcoin or uh, cryptocurrencies are kind of so popular in China and kind of I mean I read some statistic that something like huge percentage of the mining goes on in China. But anyway, could you give us some background on that? Yeah, I mean I, I think it's very useful to take a step back. So. In, in layman's terms, basically, blockchain is the underpinning technology, and then Bitcoin uh, is the first example of a blockchain, and it's the most prominent example, etc. And, and and Bitcoin has a token, which is also called Bitcoin, and and there is a lot of speculative innovation and also speculative activity surrounding that. You can have a blockchain without a token. 
uh, in which case it's it's a kind of decentralized ledger, and that's more what the the Chinese government has uh, in mind in terms of of, uh, of promoting blockchain innovation. So I, I do think that it's super useful to explore that uh, aspect a little more because there are many many misconceptions about China and blockchain, even among international experts in in, in the field that I've seen. For example, sometimes I've seen comments like, well, isn't Bitcoin illegal in China, which is fundamentally not true. And um, and so I, I do think it, it's super worthwhile to kind of take a step back and talk about the ecosystem in China and kind of how it works, which is which is a fascinating topic. The first thing that's important. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. there's so many misconceptions and it's just almost unbelievable how much uh how much of uh, of a bifurcation there is between east and west blockchain and and where there are even a lot of misconceptions among industry experts so the first thing that i think is super important to understand is that there's a fundamental difference in the business environment between say in the united states and china and so in China, there's a vast swath of territory that is kind of a gray area, and that's by design. And that's really how uh, almost everything works in China. There's, there's a, a small black area and a small white area, and then there's a vast swath of gray, which is much, much, much larger than the gray area that you would have in any any other country. Uh, and that's that's kind of uh, by design. And, and sometimes... Uh, the analogy that's used among international business people who focus on China is uh, is that of the anaconda in the in the chandelier. It's called actually. So if you can imagine being in a room with many many other people, and there's a chandelier and there's a sleeping anaconda, and it looks. In, in the chandelier and it looks kind of well fed and you feel mostly safe it's asleep and it, it's fed but on the other hand you don't want to be the loudest person in the room and you don't want to be uh making like wild motions and running around and stuff like that either right because it's still an anaconda in the chandelier you kind of want to blend in with the crowd and and go about your business in a in a quiet fashion right because because uh, and and so that's that's kind of a useful analogy to understand that there's a huge gray area, and and you don't want to cause a commotion. The next point that uh, that I would make is that it's very important to understand that there are some bright red lines that cannot be crossed because they will wake up the anaconda. And so the first one is currency controls. And the Chinese government, therefore, is extremely sensitive about anyone going from renminbi into Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency. And that's a bright red line. If you uh, if you start facilitating that, if you start doing it yourself, you're really going to have an unhappy time very quickly. Your your bank account could be frozen, or if you're helping other people get from renminbi into Bitcoin, you could you could you could be arrested, right? Right. So it's, 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 it's such a, it's such a money laundering, you know, such an obvious money laundering window that, um. It's money laundering, but then also there's, yes, absolutely money laundering. But even above and beyond that, there's the fact that they have a very strict currency control regime. You can't move freely from the renminbi to other currencies and they are laser focused on, on plugging any holes that could appear in that currency controlled 
damn. All right, what are the other ones, the other red lines? The second one that's relevant to the blockchain industry that's uh, that's very important is that the Chinese government is extremely sensitive to any kind of uh, retail investor unrest. So they, they definitely want, don't want large groups of people congregating and making complaints about anything, whatever it is. And that definitely includes, that definitely includes losing money. And that may or may not be the fault of a project. It kind of doesn't matter. It, it's not necessarily relevant if it's uh, a legitimate project or not. If there's enough people getting together in one place and causing a fuss, it's gonna, everyone's gonna have a bad time, regardless of who's right and who's wrong. Um, Okay. And then the, is there a third? Well, red line? I think those are the two big ones. But yeah. but I think related to the second one is the fact that it's a tremendously innovative space with some of the the coolest people doing the most exciting things, but also there's a, a natural gravitational pull in China for a certain type of person to get involved as well. And so there's been a lot of people that have moved from the kind of like MLM type stuff, yeah, P2P type stuff, and so they thought, well, what's Twice what's yeah. more, M- <laughs> yeah. yeah, so they thought, well, what's more MLM and P2P than what I'm doing right now? When they thought, why well, could right. I could make a crypto house of cards or Ponzi or whatever, and I could try my luck with that? And so there's been a real there's been a real problem with that, and and I would say it's actually endemic there was one token earlier this year called plus token where they eventually i guess i mean there's a whole story they tried to flee to vanuatu where the local authorities sent them back but but they it was investor losses in the high hundreds of millions of usd if i recall or even wow. higher, or even higher and and that's the this is really um i, I there there have been multiple 100 million usd plus crypto industry, you know, Ponzi MLM type tokens that have suddenly collapsed and and caused tremendous retail investor unrest. Mm. And in that case, obviously, I mean, these are these are these are criminal activities, right? That those those are uh, those are are, are scam coins. Right. So I I think there's a lot to unpack about China and blockchain, but you need to understand that there are all kinds of different people involved. And you've got everyone from, you know, Wozniak types who like to tinker and they want to maybe put together some mining equipment. And then you got entrepreneurs on steroids who are, are looking for the most entrepreneurial thing that they could do. And then you got people who are trying to do other stuff that's not as cool. And so I, I think there's a, a, a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, when I, I made it, I, w- I was joking about this the other day on Twitter and I, I said something as like the only, the, the belief that, that, that blockchain can solve all of society's problems is the only opinion that Xi Jinping and and your weed dealer have in common. You know, I saw that. I think I even liked. I I think I even liked that and probably retweeted it because uh, you know there are a lot of other types in the industry too. But uh, <laughs> I thought that was. But but yeah yeah yeah. I I think I think that there there is some sort of these kind of these things that. These aspects that I that I have a little bit of trouble reconciling, and I think some of our listeners might as well, is that you do have this sort of like libertarian kind of pseudo anarchist utopian 
wing that has been like promoting blockchain is like, oh, well, you know, we can get rid of all the, you know, we can circumvent all of these kind of governmental and, um, you know, banking institutions that cause so much inequality. We can be more democratic, right? And then you have, I mean, China's getting on the, the, the blockchain bandwagon here. There is, there's nothing more centralized than the Chinese government, right? And there's nothing more kind of con- control oriented. That in of, of itself is yeah. fascinating to me. I, I don't, so I, I'll, I'll put it this way. I, I looked at Bitcoin a, a lot earlier than we, when we first got involved in the space. One of the reasons I held back was because I'm, I'm very much not libertarian and, and I, I was <clears> super turned off by that. But, and, and so I kind of, waited to participate until the post ethereum era but but the other thing that i've actually been thinking about a lot lately because of facebook and things like that is that i used to always think that technology is fundamentally amoral it can be used for good or or bad purposes but also lately i've been thinking that frequently technology has kind of a moral arc so at first you had this specific technology. So first, for example, you had this decentralized, democratized, uh, democratizing influence of the internet, and it just unleashed all this creativity and information, and, and all of a sudden you could access all this information, and it was just this explosion. And then over a period of time, it became increasingly dystopian and it became increasingly co-opted and i think many aspects of the internet are probably almost the exact opposite of anything the first pioneers envisioned and and then right they they move they they move from being a, a movement to an institution and they kind of it's it's a it's a it's a it's an arc yeah but what what I, I do want to get a little more into this though this idea of you know the other side of it is you know from an investor standpoint the institutionalization is also where where it becomes more com- commercializable i guess or commercialized so let, let's talk a little bit more about that on the china side about the law that's being put in place and this this idea of the 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 digital currency and and what we can expect going forward when it comes to blockchain and the digital current this digital currency in China. Sure. So I, I think that consistent with that second red line that we talked about, China historically has been that they want to do blockchain without without Bitcoin. They want to do blockchain without tokens. They want to have you know very straightforwardly they want to have kind of a, a neutered version uh of blockchain and uh and and take away all the cool stuff and they want to put it in a box <laughs> along with uh yeah i mean and look it is what it is they want to put it in a box with the great firewall and 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 the social credit system that they're rolling out and they they wanted to use it as an instrument of control so from the lens of an investor is is probably more specific and and probably I can talk more freely about that. Um, but yeah. from the lens of an investor, I think that you're, you're moving from kind of a, a cowboy phase towards an institutional phase, as you mentioned. And I, I think that um, you'll start to find interesting and attractive opportunities among people who are top-notch development shops in the space that can be service providers to uh, companies like Ping An and Tencent or the government itself. Those are going to be super interesting investment opportunities. And uh, I, 
Yeah, mm-hmm. go ahead. Are are there companies uh, that you're seeing that are more active in this space, or are being more uh, putting more resources into it than others? Are there any that stand out besides the two you just mentioned? Um, I think that it's gone through. So I I, I think it, it there have been a, a number of companies, uh, including of course many of the usual suspects like BAT that have been doing trial implementations uh, in this in this space for for at least a couple of years now. But I, I think a lot of them were only blockchain related in kind of a very minimalistic fashion. So it was kind of like, uh, okay. you know, let's do Internet Plus and then let's do AI and then let's what, what's the new label that we can slap on on something to, to get it through the bureaucracy and, and things like that. So I, I think we've seen a lot of uh, a lot of skunkwork type initiatives, and, and then some of them have have been related to blockchain, and some of them have been called blockchain, but have been only tangentially, min- minimally connected to it. But uh, I, I think the the most interesting aspect, though, of what you mentioned, is related to DSAP and Alipay. Excuse me, and, and Alibaba and Tencent. And I, I think it's important to understand that in, in many ways, this could be China having, having its own digital currency in, in many ways could be a part of a, of a very interesting bigger picture. And, uh, so one of the bigger pictures is that obviously increasingly, uh, they're going head to head with the United States and, uh, internet internationalization of the RMB could be very important in kind of this global tussle that we're engaged in, right? And, and also right. given yeah. the fact that they have a, a lot of demographic challenges and, and an economy that, that's continuing to, to slow step by step. So you, you start talk about start talking about how to how to maintain economic growth and how to how to compete with other countries and, and I think it's very important with that too. But then going back to Alibaba and Tencent, the other thing that we've seen in the last few years is kind of a, a little bit of a rollback in terms of the emphasis on the private sector, and we've seen more and more resources poured into state-owned enterprises and in uh, many different ways we've seen power reverting back to the state. And uh, so I think it's important to understand that China is quite different from, for example, the United States in the ubiquitousness nature of mobile payments. For example, I, I literally, I, I have not carried a wallet for like a year and a half because, I mean, I, I have no, I have zero use for one. I, I literally don't carry a wallet because except for major transactions, you know, 99% of my transactions are using either Alipay or, uh, or WeChat Pay, which is owned by Tencent. So, and that's not necessarily, that's maybe a little bit extreme, but that's not necessarily atypical for a person that lives certainly in a first tier city, uh, Shanghai, Beijing, et cetera. So that's a, a, a lot of power that's placed in the hands of two private corporations, Tencent and Alibaba. And, uh, these, so, so I, I think that, uh, DSAP is going to go head to head. Right with mobile payments by private sector companies, 
And and I, I think that, that that's really important to understand that this is that, that's uh, very interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I kind of can we drill into that a, a little bit? I mean, um, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's the most undercovered yeah. part, of, and I think it's the most interesting and undercovered part of the story. This is uh, so. Just just to clarify here, so for our listeners, the the DCEP we're talking about is that that's a digital currency electronic platform. That is a so so that's the 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 People's Bank of China, the Central Bank of China. The, the digital currency that they're issuing that they control the wallets for. And it's also, it's a permissioned ledger that basically they have entire control over. Right? Correct? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's something that basically they are able to have, have complete, they have record of all the transactions that are made. And also they can decide who gets a wallet and who does not. But anyways, like, great firewall for money. They can use big data to <laughs> control everything, right? Right. So, but 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 talk talk about the com- the comparison between that and and the way Alibaba or WeChat pay work at the moment, and because let, let's get more on that like that 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 competition angle that you were talking about, and t- tell us more about how this would work differently. So basically, like a like a typical user of AliPay or WeChat Pay, I have a mobile wallet on WeChat. You can exchange money back and forth. Sometimes people give Hongbao, which are the digital digital money gifts. But basically uh, what people typically do is they uh, they link it to their, their uh, to their bank account. Right. So I have I have Alipay linked to my China bank accounts and I have WeChat Pay linked to uh, linked to my China bank accounts. And then everything every time I want to pay for something in person at a restaurant or whatever, I simply scan a QR code, the WeChat or Alipay app, and that initiates a, a, a process of transferring money. So it, it's super convenient and I, I literally pay for Almost everything that way, except for like major transactions. And QR codes are ubiquitous. Mobile payments are ubiquitous, especially in first tier cities and second tier cities, but increasingly everywhere. That's the way things are done. It's almost kind of strange in most situations to actually use physical currency. And increasingly it's inconvenient, if not weird to use like, uh, you know, a credit or a debit card. I mean, why, why would you, it's all extra stuff. I, I can just open my phone, which is, you know, open half the time anyway. And then, and then I can, I can make my transactions, right? It's an enormous amount of power being placed. It's an enormous amount of power being placed in the hands of private companies, though. I, I think that's that's the, the really interesting point, and it's quite notable. I mean, WeChat is basically, WeChat is almost like, it's more than Facebook for China, right? So it's, it's, it's more powerful than, than Facebook is. And then you're saying, well, what if, in addition to that, you know, many transactions of everyday citizens flow through that platform. I mean, basically you're talking about Libra, right? What if Facebook already had Libra and how much power is that in the hands of a private corporation? And just like there is pushback in the United States in a very public way to have a, a private company have that much power, there's there's pushback in China in a very non-public way for, for, for a private company to have that much power. So I, I think it's super notable that Tencent and Alibaba are big losers here. Their power is so. Mm-hmm, they're they're going in in okay. comp- direct competition, indirect competition, if not direct competition, with the People's Bank of China. Okay, so so you you kind of described, and I think we're all familiar now with uh, how WeChat and Alipay work. Would 
I, I mean, how would DCEP work? Would it be the same thing? Would you have like a DCEP wallet app on your phone and you like open it up to pay for your coffee or whatever, you know, your hospital bills, you know, everything? <laughs> the short answer is yes. The, the, the longer answer is that some of the more specific aspects of the, uh, of the implementation are, are still being worked out. But, you know, ultimately, you, that, that's what you're talking about, though. And uh, operationally, there, there's a two, two-tier mode. So first, the People's Bank of China will issue DSAP to commercial banks, and then those banks will then issue DSAP to citizens, right? So first, it goes to the Agricultural Bank of China, ICBC, et cetera, and then it flows in, in the individual people's hands, right? But effectively... Uh, could there be like could they be gearing up to do something kind of like what India did where put out the infrastructure, get it all out there, and then do this thing where they go, okay, now everything's decept, no more no more paper currency. You know, all those you read these news stories about cash just sitting in people's apartment and like getting moldy. <laughs> like, you know. You re- there's those things that those stories come out frequently still. Would this be kind of a way the, for the government to deal with that? Would, you think they would do that? I'm definitely not an India expert, but my understanding is that the India laws were related to high denomination bills because they thought it would, if I recall correctly, because uh, they thought it was easier to bribe or engage in some kind of illicit or corrupt activities if you had high denomination bills. If I recall correctly, it was it, it, it was more that. But, but Going back to China, I think this is more about efficiency gains than getting rid of paper currency. And I think they're sensitive to the fact that, well, they have the world's biggest internet and and mobile friendly population. They also do have a large percentage or, or at least a, a very large number of people that do not even have internet. So I, I think there's a lot of sensitivity to, to things like that. I, I don't think what we're looking at is at outlawing paper currency, anything like that. I think that what we are looking about is looking at it is having greater capabilities relating to big data and analytics and granular control of the monetary system combined with, as we discussed, returning power back to the state. I think it's more about things like that. Right. And and to give actually, uh, just to give actually a very specific example of the fact that there's sensitivity to those kind of still marginalized uh, populations, uh, one aspect of uh, of their plan is that you will be able to use DSAP without even having an internet an internet connection yeah. and and so i'm trying to i think it's called nfc right i'm trying to to look up the the technology but there's that i think it's called nfc where you can like put two phones together and and swap data uh, even without a connection and people have been always it's one of those technologies that never quite had a use case I, i've seen like 19 different business ideas around that technology in in the past four or five years and they all kind of didn't make sense uh, and it never took off but but finally there will be at least at least uh, one 
use case where where uh, people that don't even have an internet connection or if the internet's unstable, they will be able to uh, to use basic phone, a flip phone or whatever, and and engage in transactions using DCEP. Okay, so so kind of to summarize, they they probably won't be outlawing cash or anything like that crazy. I'd be because super surprised if that no, happened. I would yeah, I absolutely do not no. think that will happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the reason is there's still a lot of uh, people who are uh, don't have internet or maybe don't have access to smartphones and and still rely on cash. And there's you know a fair amount. I mean, uh, okay, that I think that makes sense. Elliot, do you have a question? Yeah, well, one thing I'm wondering is about the we we have the the DCEP here, which is you know kind of China's China's take on on digital currency. But then we're also discussing in the U.S. and elsewhere Libra. Right, so Facebook's kind of this kind of uh, it's not it's it's not it's Facebook led, but it's not Facebook controlled. And uh, tell us more about kind of the, the the key points of similarities and difference between DCEP and and what Libra would hypothetically be. Sure. So interestingly, I think Libra and DCEP are kind of both the uh, the opposite of. Bitcoin and, and tokenized blockchain. But then also, I think Libra is kind of orthogonal to DCEP. I think those are also kind of opposites in many ways. So I, I, I really think that, and, and, and as kind of a, a commentary on that, I, I do have to say, because I have strong feelings about this, I, I am always kind of shocked when, when people that have been in Bitcoin for years are supportive of Libra. To me, those are really total opposite ways of thinking about the world with that i i mean i i can appreciate it in the sense that if you have a very high percentage of your net worth in crypto assets bitcoin or otherwise you may view libra as super bullish for your holdings for your wealth and in that way i can certainly appreciate that it's seductive but from a, a philosophy standpoint it it really is really is the opposite I mean, again, really, I, I, I think it's, it's kind of like, um, Libra and, and even though it's part of a consortium nominally to a greater or lesser extent, uh, you know, Facebook is still the gorilla in the room. And I, I do think it's, it's useful in many ways to really think about it as, um, WeChat is, is like Facebook plus Libra right now. And so really you're, you're talking about giving a private corporation, a tech company, the ability to have enormous influence over the monetary supply. And then on, on, on the other extreme, you have DCEP, which is saying that we're going to take this uh, tremendously powerful innovation that can give us granular control and analytics and all kinds of capabilities. And we're going to say that this is something that should be a power more rather than less in, in the hands of the state. So that's, that, that's kind of how I would frame it in, in a big picture sense. In, in some ways, it's kind of, it's kind of a symbolic of, uh, it's kind of taking like American and Chinese economic models to the extreme, right? In that you have, 
and, and that you have, you know, in Libra is essentially corporate capitalism, you know, taken to the taken to the nth degree, and then in China you have state capitalism taken to the nth degree. Yeah, so I I very much agree with that, and uh, your point about corporate capitalism is why it is part and parcel related to my point about why it always is even even you know today uh, uh, kind of a shock to to read bitcoin innovators being supportive of what i view as a very deeply corporate capitalist concept in libra yeah could could we go into kind of some details on how they're different like i mean i'm can i say what i th- think i have a view on it's not a view but i have heard this or something and please correct me if i'm wrong <laughs> So Libra is kind of like it's it's supposed to be usable by everyone in the world, right? Like when it launches, so it kind of has I, I, except yeah. like China and maybe Russia. I don't know. I mean, except you know, it, it, I mean, it wouldn't be in China realistically, right? I have no idea how that. It seems basically a non-starter, right? But but like Libra itself would have been wanting to be everywhere. Was kind of like from their perspective, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and then if you put yourself in the shoes of, say, you know, a government somewhere, anywhere, you know, uh, you kind of have your national currency that you control, right? And then Libra comes along, and you know, maybe if if your currency is uh, very fluctuates a lot, and there's a lot of people that like to hold, you know, maybe there's a, a U.S. dollars in your currency already, or in your country already making circulation. Maybe people would just switch to Libra and and start using that instead of your own national currency, which is kind of it upends like the basic country model for for governments, right? It's kind of yeah. yeah. I, I I fundamentally so this gets a, a little bit into my personal politics, but I, I I certainly fundamentally agree with with what you're saying, and I, I think it does blunt. Uh, the effectiveness of sovereign monetary policy. If I were a regulator uh, of almost any country, there's basically no way I would I would uh, be friendly Marcus, towards the yeah. Libra vision. I would absolutely be pushing back on that in in every possible way. I you know okay. I, I think it is tilting. So so mm-hmm. go ahead. So decep then is that kind of I mean do they, is there a, a, an extrapolation you can Come up with in like how, what? Where would DCEP kind of play out around the world outside of China, or would it mainly be like an inside of China thing? That's a fantastic question, and I think that's the great unanswered question. I, I do know that the vision uh, is very much that this could be conducive to internationalization of the renminbi. That certainly is an intention that's been expressed by de facto Chinese government spokespersons related to DCEP. It and and certainly you you can see that from from their perspective that one of the the key planks of U.S. power is 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 the the global dollar hegemony, and and also. It's certainly true that some pillars of that power are based on technology that's kind of antiquated at this point, like like SWIFT. At, at the same time, though, it's very hard for me to understand how I, I, I think there are major hurdles in terms of using DCEP to internationalize renminbi, given 
given the currency control regime. Those are those are kind of like fundamentally opposed things. Everything in my understanding is that the currency control regime is 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 not a topic that's up for discussion or debate anytime in the foreseeable future. So so therefore uh I, I think that's a big hurdle. With that said though, I think that countries that have um come to at, at least some extent that have come to be uh, a part of Chinese sphere of influence or whatever you want to call it, I, I think that they could they could certainly be kind of corralled into using DCEP or at least some components of trade with China. I, I think it, there's likely to be a push for that. Maybe they'll rope it into the 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 one belt one road, and and maybe they'll try to to get some of these uh, adjacent countries that are extremely economically dependent on China to integrate DCEP into their 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 trade with China. I think that's that's likely to happen. It, it's just that for it to be go, I, I I think that will happen. I think that's the the low hanging fruit. I I think it will be a, a a major challenge to have it go beyond that because of the currency control regime. Yeah, I think it's very interesting, particularly looking at Pakistan. There, they seem to be, and they've always been a, a pretty tight ally. I don't, I don't know if they're officially an ally, but they're quite tight with China, and, and they have so many economic ties. That uh, I, I, that would be a, an area I'd look at. But uh, what, one more question that I have for you. Um, I don't want to. We don't want to keep you too long. But we have the, these these Chinese companies that have have built been built around the blockchain. Or about blockchain focused industries, I guess, that, that have done, that have done quite well. You know, these, we have Binance, we have Huobi, we have, uh, Bitmain. You know, what, what can we expect out of these companies, uh, given the new, the, given DCEP, given, you know, new regulations, given kind of China's push forward in blockchain? What, what can we really ex- expect from them? How does, how do, do we, you see them playing into the equation? I, I think that's, a great question. I, I do know one example that kind of relates to that is that recently there, there's been discouragement, if not a crackdown, on articles in the Chinese media saying things like, you know, blockchain's hype or blockchain's a scam and things <laughs> like that. Because as we do know, they have a lot of a lot of media control, right? So, but I, I think there may be I think it'll be a mixed bag. And, and so I think there may be a little bit of forgiveness of past sins and, and things like that in terms of people who, who maybe push the envelope with regards to, uh, speculative tokens and things like that. And by the way, I'm, I'm not referring to people who went totally crazy. I'm referring more to, you know, OKX and beyond and, and OB and things like that. However, at, you know, at the same time, China's push is very much blockchain without without bitcoin as they sometimes say but but bitcoin means all these other tokens too and so uh binance for example their business model is based around tokens and you could try to say that their investment you know they're speculative speculative tokens right so that that's not what china is encouraging Right now, and 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 so I think there there will be a, a limit to the extent to which these these companies will be embraced. It's more about integrating blockchain technology into infrastructure for payments, 
for, you know, insurance companies, all kinds of things like that. And it, it's not about speculation. So I, I think there's a. So, so for, 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 for our listeners there. So, so Binance and Huobi, they're, they're more exchanges and they've done, they've been a lot more kind of on the, on the speculative side of it. They're not, from what I understand, they're, they're based in outside the country or they're at least headquartered outside or, or, or registered outside the country. Registered outside the country, but with many, very much with, uh, many employees in, in China as well. So, but I, I think, you know, again, this, this relates to, those are exchanges that I use as an example, but I, I think this also relates to many other parts of the industry, even mining companies. I, I think there's a, there, there will be more patience and more of a willingness to, to forgive past sins, but I, I'm not convinced that it will go too much beyond that because <clears throat> this is about blockchain without Bitcoin and, and also other tokens, right? Yeah, I, I would think that they would need some of the, the expertise from these firms, but they're all kind of in the gray market, right? So how do you bring the gray market into the the, the white market, I guess? Um, how, how does that work out? That's a, a, a great question. And I, I think that for, for, for uh, especially for international listeners, and it, it, it's harder to understand, but I think, again, I would go back to the fact that vast swaths of the, the China economy are gray, and that's mm. by design. So I think there's kind of an, an expertise on how this all fits together with the government and the gray area, and and it, they have... Uh, a long-standing uh, tradition and capability of being able to put all those uh, all those things together. So I I think that you know that's certainly one part of it. Right. But well, in addition to that, though, I I do want to know from more of kind of the the less of on the exchange stuff, more just kind of on the the actual like hardware of it. You know the. It's it's incredibly energy intensive to 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 produce to mine the the, the coins and and also um, you know obviously like Bitmain produces a lot of this hardware and so so how do one is is can you expect just a whole a whole lot of more business and just you know explosion for some of these hardware companies and also like how does how do you mine a currency? That's going to be used this much when it requires that much energy. Uh, okay, so DCEP will not require mining. So okay. that, that will not be a proof of work token like Bitcoin. So there's, there's no mining, uh, that will be required at all. It'll be creating a, 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 a digitized, it'll be creating digital money, but it, it, it will, it'll be much more simple to, similar to, to Tether. Than it, than it would to to Bitcoin. Tether is USDT is a digital representation of the United States dollar, which is issued by a private company. That's a whole topic in and of itself because it may or may not work the way it's intended to. But but the way it's intended to is illustrative, and and so that is that you you told me that you want a digital US USD, which is called a tether, and so you give me ten USD, I put it in a bank, and then I give you. I have USD in a bank, and now I give you USDT. If later you say, "Well, I I won't, I, I want my my USD back," I then go to the bank. I take maybe you want half back. I take five bucks out of the bank. I give you your your, your five bucks, and I destroy half of your of your tether. So so the the uh, the DCEP is designed to to work a little more similar uh, to that. 
as opposed to a proof of work token like Bitcoin. So there will not. So that I'm, I'm super glad that came up because that's an enormously important point that there will not be this enormous uh, electricity need. And then I would also related to that, I would point out one of the other distinct features is that because of its decentralized nature, there are massive scalability problems with proof of work tokens. And so this is centralized. I should say there are massive scalability problems uh, with decentralized tokens. That's more technically correct. So this is a, a centralized digital currency. So there will not be these kinds of uh, scalability issues. And it should be reasonably straightforward to be able to have the kind of transaction throughput that 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 uh, Alibaba, that Alipay and, and WeChat Pay have, things like that. So it kind of sounds like it's just like a. I mean, how is it a blockchain? It kind of just sounds like a database. <laughs> you really got right to that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that. Yeah, you got right to it, didn't you? So, that, yeah. I mean, it. It's it's uh really we're we're talking about something that is at least as much like a high performance database as as a blockchain, right? I mean that's that's just really the heart of it, right? We're talking about something that is is centralized, and and we're talking about something that it does not have the ethos of much of blockchain, right? This is more like I mean, you know like, more like Amazon Web Services type stuff than it is right. than it is Bitcoin, right? Because like a uh, accounting systems have always needed like you have a, a ledger. That you can't change, right? If you make an error, you have to create another counter. You have to erase the error with another entry, right? It, it's kind of. It sounds more like that, like because blockchain, blockchain kind of blockchain. the important part is. Well, blockchain is it. It has to be kind of distributed in in these blocks, right? That has that's how it kind of works. Uh-huh. It's chain. You know, each block, each block locks the. The chain locks the next block with the prior block's, you know, hash code or whatever. <laughs> hey, one-way hash function, yeah. So, uh, I mean, the, you got kind of right to the heart of it, which is that we don't know the complete technical details yet at all. But this is something that is is going to have at least some features of a centralized database. And it will be nominally blockchain in in some ways as well. But is this going to be good for like Huobi and Binance, Binance and uh, Bitmain? Is this a positive? I think we that that's a good question, and I think we have opposing forces here. I think that uh, this represents a type of blockchain that has really nothing to do with any type of blockchain that relates to Huobi or Binance. So I I think in that sense, it's very much a negative, but uh, I think it's super important to understand that it's highly likely that there will be many spillover effects where people are conflating the two and they're saying, Xi Jinping's talking about it, I need to learn about it. And and (laughs) very seriously, though, that's very powerful in China. And and we've we've actually already seen that happening where people have have, uh, said, you know, blockchain is 
is acceptable in China now. And so we need to know how that can be a part of our investment portfolio that we've, we've ourselves have had that conversation. I, w- I would actually say numerous times. I would actually say numerous times in, in, in the weeks since in, in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. So there are major positive spillover effects. And then the negative is that DCEP really has nothing to do with anything that Bitcoin or finance or whatever. So, 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 so just, I mean, we, we, we should probably let you go also because our, our, our producers get, get upset with us when we go on too long. We're supposed to keep it nice and tight. <laughs> but anyways, so there's a few, a few takeaways here is one is that we've seen a signal that China is definitely moving forward with blockchain, yeah. blockchain loosely defined, right? The, it's centralized blockchain. Yeah. Right. Uh, two that this is in general, at least what we can see is that the, the, the state, the PBOC's currency here, um, is, is potentially a threat to Alibaba and WeChat, right? They, it's kind of an undoing of this. We've talked about things so far. And I, I think possibly the PBOC, I, I'm not sure if you're the PBOC, it makes sense to put that front and center. But, and, and so it's been a little under the radar, but it, to me, that's by far and away the most interesting and least talked about aspect of it and and actually i i don't want to get i think that's a a story that has not been told at all and let me put it this way i think there are a lot of, of, of parts of that story that have have not even unfolded yet and and to give you an example we we all kind of know that china is a, a complicated place but um if you go to saishin they're the number one financial news source in China, I would say. And so they're kind of like Bloomberg for China. And one of the lead articles today, and, and I, I will leave it to our listeners to interpret this more, but I, I had a bunch of conversations with China experts about this today. But uh, one of the government officials whose job function is related to licensing of third-party mobile payments was arrested earlier today. It's one of the future articles on Saishin. So there's a oh, lot. Wow. There's a lot going on here. So there's a lot going on here. I, I think the the Ali Pay, We Pay, WeChat Pay. I was hesitant about whether. I mean, look, I'm not gonna delve into it too much. Site okay. is covering it. It's a news story. I think it it remains. I, I certainly can say that I talked to a lot of a lot. I got a lot of calls about this today, and and I, including some of the top international experts on China law. I was talking to, to, to one one of them today and, and uh the consensus seems to be that it, it it's hard to say yet, but it's more likely than not that there's a connection. Yeah, I would say it like that. So 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 we, we could probably we can come to the conclusion here that it is in a regardless if it if it works out, it's going to be an advancement probably of of state control over the economy. And and that there there is probably some power struggle or some conflict that is likely to ensue between some of these other powerful entities like you know WeChat or, or Tencent or, or, or Alibaba. But how that will play out, we don't quite know. Yeah, I would I would basically agree with that. Yeah. Okay, and th- and then a, a third takeaway that we can that we can have is that we don't quite know exactly how it's going to uh, affect some of these larger uh, blockchain focused companies that already exist that are Chinese, right? That that because they are. They are kind of in this gray area, right? They're they're they they're they're going to have some new opportunities. We don't quite know what they are yet or how they can be used. I, I think that I would say I think it 
in my personal view, it's, it's likely to be a positive, but that's okay. because of the halo effect of blockchain getting increasing legitimacy in China, and it's not related to DCEP itself having really much at all to do with, with what they're doing. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. All right, anything anything else before we go? Well, I think your producer is probably going to kill me. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's okay. Look. I can tell by He's your nice. body language. There's like a guy right out of the picture saying "cut, cut." <laughs> okay. No, uh, Matthew. How can how can our listeners uh, get in touch with you? How can they follow you? How can they uh, you know learn more about what you're doing? I guess you can follow me on on Twitter. My my Twitter handle. You can tell I'm not good at marketing by my Twitter handle, which is mg0314a, which is like the opposite of you know anyone that's like a key that's like a uh, influencer, right? That's like a uh, wants to be an influencer type person. We we like to be behind the scenes, but uh, but, but, I, but it's but like I, a crypto hash, you know? It's yeah, a, yeah. We we like to right, say that one more time, please. Yeah, we like to be Matthew, behind the scenes. But I do have a Twitter and I'm pretty outspoken on it and and I do sometimes have things that are cool to to learn about MG0314A the worst example of a Twitter handle you could possibly think of okay <laughs> well anyway, anyways like the 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 blockchain and crypto space in China right now um it's always been interesting and now it's getting even more interesting so Matthew Graham thank you so much for joining us uh on the China Tech Investor thank you, podcast thank you Matthew all right thank you all right Okay, well, thank you again to uh, uh, Matthew Graham from Sina Global Capital. The one thing that really stood out to me in that conversation is just how, because of how impactful and how granular um, blockchain can get and how it determines the rules beh- behind so many transactions, that it's so philosophical how all these systems are designed. You know, it, it, it comes down to, you know, these very, very kind of core issues about how you, um, how you know a, a society imagines that people interact with each other or interact with authority it is it is very um it's really it's really philosophical it comes down to release a lot of these first principles which is also what makes it such a thorny issue as well but what one thing that that does kind of stand out to me is how what this means we we address this in our conversation but what this means for you know the these payment platforms, you know, like Alibaba. There are, um, you know, Ant Financial, Tencent, and how we may be seeing this more direct conflict between you know the state and these private companies. You know, where is there some of this uh, collaboration where they can work together, um, or where will where will we see this um, kind of this? Uh, I guess this this conflict of interest between you know these large corporate entities and 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 the Chinese state. I, I don't know. Yeah, I I wonder. I mean, this that was kind of the key thing, and and we had uh, we're recording this kind of the day after we recorded with Matthew, kind of thinking about this a little bit more last night. I kind of you know the like my I previously thought that the PBOC was doing something to create like a special QR code that links. You know, if you buy something with WeChat, the vendor can have any system. You know, it could be Alipay. They show you a QR code. That QR code is actually gotten from the PBOC, so that it like creates a record in their files or database, whatever blockchain, whatever you want to call it, that that transaction occurred. But then you can scan that QR code with any payment platform that you want to use. So, so it, it disaggregates kind of. The client from the service provider, you don't have to be on the same platform. 
And I started thinking that maybe this is why, or one of the major reasons why we saw Alibaba and Tencent both push towards this uh, kind of mm. offering more services to business to the two B. Because at the end of the day, if if the platform could be anything, if it could be the PBOC's own app, right? What's the benefit of having to use Alipay or WeChat? And it would be right. the value-added services that are added on top of this. And so that would, you know, that would be kind of if maybe they foresaw this, maybe there was signaling that they they saw the questions maybe that PBOC was asking them. They were kind of, you know, could could read the tea leaves. And so they both, and maybe that's why they kind of pushed to, to this. I don't know. But if they I mean, that's one way that I think if they're going to not be completely sideswiped by something the PBOC could do here, uh, I think it would be in adding and providing high quality, valuable services to business and, and consumers. You know, through their payment platform or portals or whatever you want to call them. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, yeah, and, and what what's really remarkable about just considering the power of this technology? I mean, it is it is something that really it puts so it's it no matter how it's designed it because it, the the rules around payments is so so powerful, right? It it really kind of shifts power no matter where it goes or no matter how you design it, right? So obviously we're seeing so much of this conversation around Libra, right? That essentially you're taking power in some ways away from central banks and putting it in the hands of corporate entities. In in this situation, what I think what's what we're seeing is, is the power, some of it's being taken away from um some of these these payment processors or some of these you know, I think in some ways individuals or in some ways those smaller banks in really being centralized to the PBOC. And, you know, it is, so wherever you see a shift of power, you know, that usually is, is going to have involved some kind of conflict as well. So, um, it's, it probably will not be as easy as just snapping fingers, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I think Matt, Matthew's point that this is mainly the PBOC, this, um, Whatever DCEP, uh, it's it's mainly driven by wanting to keep track of payments and money moving around, rather than uh, necessarily wanting to, you know, completely do something else. Mm-hmm. Right? It's more about anti-money laundering and control of currency, you know, in in and out of the country and things like that. I think that's that makes me feel like it's not they're not going to try to, you know, disrupt these other companies too much, but obviously. When there's, when you have the ability, as a central bank does and a government, to demand that your digital currency be or your digital platform or whatever be received, you know, by everybody, that's a step above what a private company can do. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway. yeah. Anyways, okay. Uh, anything we should say before we sign off? Thanks, to Peter. Techno.com/newsletters five stars. Yeah, that's right. Five stars. <laughs> Give us a good review. Let us know what you think. Not investment advice. Not investment <laughs> advice. Uh, yeah, have a have a good uh, happy anniversary to our listeners. If you've been with us for a year, you know, thank you. All right, take it easy, everybody, and uh, catch us next time on the China Tech Investor Podcast. Bye bye now. <laughs>